So welcome to 12 Stone here and across all of our campuses. We hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We're glad you're here for Thanksgiving weekend. My Thanksgiving was uh, pretty typical, what I expected. Went and ate some good food with the family and then watched my Detroit Lions lose in a new way. It's amazing, uh, but that's pretty much how my Thanksgiving goes. But that's all right. Well, today we're going to go after uh, something that runs right around Thanksgiving. But to start off this teaching, I want to share a a story with you. I want to read a story to you about a young man in his conversation with God. Let me read. There was a young man who walked up to God and asked, God, how long is a million years to you? God said a million years is like a second. Then the young man asked, well, then how much is a million dollars to you? God said a million dollars is like a penny. The young man smiled and asked, could you spare a penny? God smiled back and said, sure. Can you wait a second? It's good. It's good, isn't it? It's really good. We love that. We love that. And you know why? Because I think it demonstrates a little bit of the wit that's in God when it comes to our conversations back and forth with him. That there are conversations we have where we're asking for something and God is asking us to wait. See, there's some things that you just have to grow through time. They can't be given to you. And today, we're going to talk about something that I believe we actually have to grow inside of our lives. It can't just be given to you, it has to be grown. And so what are we talking about today? We're talking about gratitude. See, the Apostle Paul knew the importance of gratitude in our lives. This is why he talked about it, included it in his conversation in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you would, grab your worship center Bibles out here and across all of our campuses. Uh, get them out from underneath your seat. Uh, open, get your devices out, whatever it is. We're going to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. This is on page 1,189. Page 1,189. Now, we're going to be looking at the Apostle Paul today throughout his life and his experiences, and we're about to read uh, something that he wrote through the Holy Spirit through him in God's Word. But I want to get you caught up to what we're about to read here together. Now, in this moment, these three verses that we are about to read today, they are known as the standing orders to the church. And what's important for us to note as we read this is that Paul is going to give these these three verses. He's going to say these three things within an authoritative tone behind it. And here's why. Because Paul knows you can't tell someone how to feel, right? You can't tell someone how to feel. If you have ever tried to tell your spouse how to feel or your kids how they're supposed to feel, it doesn't go very well. It doesn't help you out very much in that moment. Paul knows this. But Paul also knows That while you can't tell someone how to feel, we personally can still choose how we behave despite those feelings. And so in these three verses, Paul is going to give us the standing orders to the church. What we're called to do. What we are commanded to carry out in our lives. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 16 through 18. I'll read. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is what we're going to talk about today, gratitude. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's a pretty high standard for the church, right? There's a lot of always inside of this. Uh, But 
Notice, Paul isn't saying that we should be grateful. He's not just saying we should be grateful. He's saying that it's God's will for us to be grateful, to give thanks in all circumstances. Here's what we can't miss. Gratitude matters to God. Gratitude matters to God. And knowing this today, we're gonna go after one statement, one thought, uh, that I hope becomes one conviction for you and I here today. And it's on the top of your notes. You can write it down. They'll throw it up for you. And here it is. Grow in gratitude to break through discontentment. See, with Thanksgiving over, I think the caution for you and I today is that we wouldn't let Thanksgiving just be a holiday inside of our year, but that we'd let it become a habit inside of our lives. Many of you had great moments of gratitude with your families. We need that every single day. And so I want this to be inside of us, to get inside of our head, inside of our heart here today. So why don't we all say this together here across all of our campuses. Let's say this phrase together to get it inside of our heart and our head as we move forward today. So on the count of three, start with grow and let's say it out loud together. You ready? One, two, three. Grow in gratitude to break through discontentment. It was about five years ago where I realized for the first time that my daughter, Ella, was at risk of having gratitude absent in her life. It was when she was three years old and actually we were dropping her off in the children's ministry at 12 Stone. And when I went to pick her up from her classroom that particular day, the kids had to answer the question, I'm thankful for blank. And then our children's leaders would write their responses in the blank and fill it out. And as I walked up to the room, there were all these papers were lined up against the wall of what all the other kids said. And they were amazing. I'm looking at them. And some of the kids, I'm grateful for God and Jesus. Typical church answers, but still great. And some of them, I'm grateful for my mom and dad, for a pet that I have, for a friend, for a toy. And as I'm looking through these, I'm looking for my daughters. I'm like, man, these are just amazing. And then I get to my daughters and I I see this. My name is Ella. I am three years old and I'm thankful for myself. Awesome. It's a proud moment as a father. Obviously, I'm doing something right. Oh, man. I'll tell you what. When I first saw it, I, I smiled. I smiled for a second. I said, that's cute. She's three years old. She probably was put on the spot, couldn't think of anything in the moment. So she just said, me, Ella, myself, and, and the children's leader wrote it in there. But at first when I smiled, eventually as I kept looking at this, I, I eventually started cringing on the inside because I'm thinking to myself, listen, if I'm not growing gratitude inside of my daughter, what, what's growing? What's going on inside of there? Because there is a word that no adult wants associated with themselves. There's a, there's a word that none of us want associated with our kids as we're raising them. It's one of the ugliest words. You ready? Let's see it. Here it is ungrateful. It's just an ugly word, isn't it? And and, and, you know, the most difficult thing about ungrateful is that it's almost impossible to see in yourself, isn't it? See, there's, there's things that we will admit to feeling in our lives. I mean, there's moments you'd probably admit to feeling a little bit angry, frustrated, maybe a little bit nervous. You might even admit insecure some moments in your life, but this, no one ever admits to being this. And I've had a lot of meetings with a lot of people in my 10 years in ministry, sitting down, talking about what's going on with their life, trying to help. But I'll tell you what never happens. I never sit down with someone and go, you know, John, tell me what's going on. Well, Sean, I am just the most ungrateful person in the world, right? It never happens. 
Because no one ever wants to admit to being ungrateful. In fact, if anybody has ever called you ungrateful or said you are this, you immediately went in defensive mode, right? You immediately fired back. You said, I'm not ungrateful. Are you kidding me? No, I'm grateful. And what we do is we begin to remember all these moments in our life of when we were grateful, and it justifies how we feel. But it's been well said that unexpressed gratitude comes across as ingratitude. Listen, even if you feel grateful, it doesn't matter if you don't express it because the other person has to receive it. See, unexpressed gratitude comes across as ingratitude in our lives. And what's funny about this is some of you are sitting in this room right now and you're like, man, I am so glad he or she is here to hear this message. They need to hear this because it's easy to see in somebody else, but not yourself. And the funny thing is we have couples that are sitting next to each other right now that are both equally grateful. The other person is here to hear this because you can see it in them, but they can't see it in themselves. Which is why the conviction to grow in gratitude, to break through discontentment, is so important for us today. Because in our relationships, there's something we need to know. This is in your notes, write it down. Gratitude grows contentment. Ingratitude grows discontentment. See, when we are grateful to one another in our relationships, it builds contentment between us. But ingratitude not only stops contentment in our relationships, ingratitude has the power to completely dismantle our relationships through discontentment. I learned this the hard way last week. Cassie and I, my wife and I, we had our fourth child a little over a month ago, little Leo, our boy. Uh, we love him, and we, we, we thought to ourselves before we had this, this fourth kid, we thought, man, how much more difficult can it be than three, right? <sighs> You gotta be kidding me. We are getting no sleep at all right now, man. We're just tired everywhere we go. But it was about a week ago that I had had a long day at work, just a long day at work. And I brought it home with me. And as I pulled into the garage, shut the garage door, I opened the garage door to go into the house. And as soon as that door cracked open, I heard screaming going across the entire house. And our little baby was just screaming at the top of his lungs. And Cassie, my wife, comes running up to me. You can see with a little bit of motion behind it. And she asked me, she said, can you please just take Leo? I'm so tired. Have you ever had a moment where you started to speak, and as you did, you just wanted to grab those words and pull them back in and be like, what are you doing? She said this to me, and in the moment I said, well, I actually did a lot today, and I'm really tired. Don't judge me. Don't act like you're better than me in this. Don't do that. Listen, just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I'm not capable of stupid. I am. And you know what? Right when I said that, I I watched my wife pull back. I watched tears well up. She got cold and distant, didn't want to be around me. Rightfully so, right? I I mean, listen, and my wife is incredible. How she does what she does in pouring into our children and raising them up every single day. Are you kidding me? That is amazing work what she's doing. She's doing an incredible job. Love her. And you know, I, I was quick to come back and apologize for it. But when this happened, she grew distant in the moment. Why? Because we're where gratitude has the opportunity to build contentment in our lives, ingratitude has the power to stop our relationships through discontentment. It will shut down our relationships. And listen, maybe today, 
maybe ungrateful is the very thing that's at the heart and center of your key relationships that's causing them to go wrong. Maybe that's the very thing that's building discontentment inside of your relationships in your life. And God wants to bring this in front of us and set this up and and tell us, listen, we have to grow in gratitude to break through this discontentment in our lives. And maybe ungrateful is the reason you have relational struggles at work, at home, everywhere you go. And maybe you feel it, but if you don't express it, doesn't matter. We have to go after this today. And today, I want to talk about how we grow our gratitude, not only in our relationship with others, but more importantly, in our relationship with God. Because we are at risk of ingratitude and discontentment coming into our lives spiritually with our Heavenly Father. Do you guys know this? Every single day, you are either demonstrating gratitude or ingratitude towards your Heavenly Father. And where we are at risk of being ungrateful with God is found in the form of a question that whether you're a follower of Jesus Christ or you're just here today trying to figure out who God is, I bet you have probably asked this question at some point in your life. What's the question? Over here. Why doesn't God do something about that? Now, the funny thing about this question is is it doesn't take you very long to think of a that, does it? Some of you, you're sitting next to that right now. Some of you, some of you work for that. Some of you work with that. Some of you share a cubicle next to that. You can go in your, your, your personal life. For some of you, that is a financial situation. It's, it's a situation inside of a relationship. We can look at the holistic worldview, look at hunger, look at, look at hatred, look at all these different things, disease and death, and we can see these things around us and go, why doesn't God do something about that. Now, I need your help here today. This is going to help us here across all of our campuses. I need your participation in this moment. Here's what I want to know. If you have ever thought or asked this question or a question like this at some point in your life, would you put your hand up? Just throw it up in the air. Put your hand up. Keep them up. Don't put them down here and across all the campuses. Put your hand up if you've ever done that. Now, take a look around. Just look around the room really quick. Take a quick look around the room. I mean, this is almost every single hand up inside of this room. And those that don't have their hand up, they're the that. And we're praying for them here today. Right? Listen, almost every single one of us here has asked this question in our life. And that's okay. You have to hear that. Listen, you can still have faith in God and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and ask this question. But I'll tell you what, when the that is personal, when it matters to you deeply, the answer to this question matters. Because there is a weight behind that question. And today, this is a question that Paul, the Apostle Paul, asked himself. Because Paul had a that that he cared desperately about. And he went to God and asked, why don't you do something about that? In Paul's words from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, when he says, give thanks in all circumstances, is about to be put to the test. 
to see if he really means what he said. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. You can flip right over page 1,165, page 1,165 in your worship center Bibles. We're going to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. Now we're going to be starting in the middle of a conversation that Paul is having in verse 7. So I want you to understand what we're jumping into. The book of 2 Corinthians is really a letter from Paul written to the church in Corinth in a church that he started. And in the letter, he describes to them these experiences that he had with God, that God had revealed incredible things to Paul. And now he's telling the church and letting them know that because of these incredible things that God has revealed to him, God has also given him an affliction to go with it, to keep him humble. And we're about to jump in the middle of this conversation, starting with therefore. Here we go. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, because of all the things that God has revealed to him, I was given a thorn in my flesh. And this for Paul was some sort of irritation, some sort of physical ailment that followed him around everywhere he went. And he goes on to say that it was a messenger of Satan. Now, we don't know if Paul meant that figuratively or, or, or if he meant it seriously, literally, that, that Satan was tormenting him and going after him. Many, many scholars go back and forth on what he meant there. I believe it, it was more of the literal sense that the word given in verse 7 indicates that it was given to him. I mean, this is a literal thing that Satan is going and attacking him, but it doesn't really matter because it, what really matters is Paul goes on to say that it, to torment me, that it tormented him wherever he went, meaning probably every single day he got up to work. It was there. Every single day he wanted to do ministry, it was there. Every single day he had to write a letter, it was there. Every single time he had to travel to get on the road, it was there in his face. Every single day this followed him around and constantly tormented him everywhere he went. Some people believe that Paul suffered from epilepsy, that he would have seizures and just wake up and not know what was going on. Others believe he had reoccurring bouts of malaria that came up from his travel and, and it just wouldn't go away. Some people believe he had, he had terrible eyesight, that his eyesight was so bad that he couldn't write or speak or read uh, because of his experiences throughout scripture. We don't really know what it was. We just know that it was a constant torment and it went everywhere he went. But it's in verse eight where this moment is carried, where Paul cries out, God, why don't you do something about that? It's a very weighty moment. Let's read it together. Three times I pleaded. Three times I what? Pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. In other words, God, why don't you do something about that? And I wanted you guys to see the word pleaded because this was not casual for Paul. This was not, I'm gonna pray about it on Monday, pray about it on Tuesday, skip Wednesday, come back Thursday, okay, God, you're not gonna do anything about it, forget it. That's not what this was. No, this was probably seasons of prayer and fasting for Paul, going after God, saying, God, this is tormenting me. Will you please take this away? This was very heavy for Paul. And in Paul's pleading, as he kept going back to the Lord, I think Paul reveals three specific things that he knew to be true of God when it comes to the question of why doesn't God do something about that? And I wanna show you them here today. This is what Paul realized and what he reveals in the question, why doesn't God do something about that? And here's the first thing that Paul reveals about God. He can. 
Do you know that? God can. This is why Paul went to God. He, he knew if there was gonna be anybody that could handle the situation, this thorn in his flesh that he was walking through, it was going to be God alone. I wonder, do you know that? Are you talking more to other people around you about your problems or God? Because I'll tell you what, they can't, he can. Paul knew this. The second thing that Paul knew to be true of God when it comes to asking this question is sometimes he waits. Sometimes he waits. We don't like this, do we? We just don't like this, man. We don't wanna have to wait for anything, but sometimes in our lives, we have to wait. Sometimes God waits. He wants to grow something within us in this process, and Paul reveals this. This is why he didn't stop after the first pleading. This is why he kept pleading and going back to God because he knows that sometimes God waits. Here's the third thing that Paul reveals to us in his pleading, that we can trust him in the meantime. We can trust God in the meantime. Do you know that? And I'll tell you what, honest moment together. I think in this season of life, where there is still hope that we're gonna get what we want, that God is still going to move, I believe that it's still easy to grow gratitude and contentment in our relationship with God in this season. Because it's still possible, he's just waiting. But today, I wanna talk about a very, 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 very difficult topic. See, I wanna talk about when God changes the sometimes he waits to sometimes he won't. See, there are gonna be moments in our life where God just says no, and we don't understand why. This is what Paul experienced in this moment. He pleaded with God three times to take this away from him. And Paul experienced the won't. In verse nine, as we continue, he pleaded with God three times, and in verse nine, it carries the weight of God's response. Let's read it. But he, God, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, no. No, Paul. I'm not gonna take this away. And now Paul finds himself facing a gap in life. And I believe this is a gap that every single one of us has faced before. I've faced it before in my life and Paul is facing a gap. And here's the gap. This is the gap that he's facing. A gap between what I want and what God decides. And as soon as I put this up on the screen, some of you are already thinking of circumstances and situations in your life where this is true. And today, I want you to know that in this gap, there is one of two things that'll, that'll grow. Either gratitude and contentment in your relationship with God or ingratitude and discontentment. And we get to choose. Despite how we feel, we get to choose our behavior and what we want to express to our heavenly father. But let's be real. This is one of the most difficult seasons of life you will ever face. This is where faith is grown. This is where faith is tested. This is where followers of Christ are exposed because they keep following and fans of Christ drift away and leave. This is the most vulnerable season of our life when it comes to our faith in letting ingratitude 
and discontent come in. And let me demonstrate that to you through a story, through something I've seen in my kid's life. Every time uh, my kids and I, we go to the grocery store, I've done this with every single kid I have, there is a specific cart, grocery cart, that some of you call it buggy, you're weird, whatever. There's a grocery cart that we try to go and get. It's that cart where your kids can sit in the, in the front of it and there's steering wheels uh, in front of them. You guys know what I'm talking about? If you don't, here's a picture. Uh, this is me and my kiddos right here. And we always look for this cart or a cart like it because my kids love it. And, and what I do is I play a game with my kids as they sit in front of this steering wheel, and I've done it with every single one of my kids, and I'm doing it with Sailor right now. And here's what happens. They get in the cart, they put their hands on the wheel, and, and then we just go, and I watch them as intensely as I possibly can to see where their hands go. Now, they're usually very young, as you can see at this age when they do this, and so they're just going like this with the steering wheel, so I'm going like this with the cart back and forth, and it's like so real, and they're kind of smiling, like, oh yeah, I'm driving this thing. And in this moment, they feel like they're actually in control. They're like, I'm in control. I'm driving this thing. And the game that we play is as I push them around the grocery store, I don't care where they turn. I'm going. I don't care. So watch out. This is how we roll as Myers. And we'll hit you. We don't care. And I'll be pushing them. And if, if Sailor grabs that wheel and she yanks it to the left, I am turning that car to the left no matter what, man. We're hitting aisles. We're hitting all the different shelves. Food's falling over. I don't even care. She yanks it to the right. I pull it to the right as fast as I can. She's laughing hysterically as this is going on, believing that she's actually doing this, that she's actually in control. But you know what? There is always a moment where the game ends. There is always a moment when it stops, and here's what happens. I'm pushing along the grocery store, and Sailor turns left, and I push right. And every time this happens, she turns around, looks up at me. She goes, oh, Dad, you missed it. You didn't get it, okay. I went left, and then we keep going, and she turns left, and I push right. And in that moment, it's over for them. It's no longer fun. They realize they're not in charge. And you know what inevitably happens with every single one of my kids when I do this? They end up climbing out of the cart and they want to walk around and go wherever they want to go. We do this with our heavenly father all the time. All the time. So, oh, oh, God, God, <laughs> God, 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 come here, come here. God, you don't get it. I went left, not right. I went left. Let's go. We do it all the time. Now, can we have a really hard conversation right now? Really hard. Because if we don't have it here, there's nowhere else we're gonna be able to have this conversation. Okay? Some of you are sitting in this room right now going, cute, cute illustration, Sean, get it, it's great. But I'm not just going left in a cart while you're pushing right. Right now, I'm praying that God would heal my wife from cancer so that she doesn't die. I'm praying for the job that I desperately need so that I can pay the bills and put food on the table. I'm praying for my wife to get pregnant because we can't have kids. And you're telling me that if God says no, I'm supposed to be grateful? Let me answer that question by telling you another story. It was about a year ago where Darby Clay found out that his wife, Belinda, had cancer. 
They're great friends of mine. I love them dearly. They're out at the Buford campus. Help pioneer with us. Darby did set up and tear down for three and a half years of me serving. And over the past year, through her treatments, man, we have had a lot of conversations, hospital visitation, meeting with them at home, lots of prayer with them, pleading and asking God, would you please heal Belinda? And you know, through these conversations, I'll never forget one where Darby said to me, Sean, all I'm asking God to do is what he's already done for so many people before and to heal Belinda. That healing never came. Belinda passed away two weeks ago. I had the honor of doing her funeral last Sunday as we said goodbye as Darby and the family said goodbye. And when Darby was in the middle of his funeral, he asked to stand up and to speak for his wife, to honor her. And he did. And he spoke for about 20 some minutes. And he talked about God's plan for their life, how God always had a plan, how he had a plan for them to meet in Texas at work, how he had a plan for them to get married in Tennessee, how he had a plan for them to raise five children together here in the Buford area. But when he stepped down, the last thing he said is, Belinda's death is the only part of God's plan I don't understand. Can you blame him? Difficult moment. Difficult because God said, no, no, I'm not gonna heal Belinda. Let's have this conversation. So when Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, is Paul saying to Darby that he's supposed to be grateful that his wife passed away? No. Absolutely not. Of course not. But what Paul is saying is that despite the circumstance, Darby can still give thanks for who God is. Stay with me. He's not grateful Belinda's gone. Of course not. He wanted God to heal Belinda so that he would have more time with her on this earth. But even though God decided not to heal Belinda on this earth, he healed Belinda. She trusted her life to Jesus Christ. She does not have cancer anymore. She is in heaven with Jesus, healed. He's not grateful Belinda's gone. But right now, Darby is grateful for God's grace because it's getting him through it. You see, when God says no, he also says yes. No, I'm not going to heal Belinda, but yes, my grace will be sufficient for you to get you through whatever you're going through. God's grace is getting Darby through this, just like God's grace is what got Paul through his as well. God said, no, Paul, I'm not going to take this physical ailment away, but my grace is sufficient for you. You're going to have to go one more day facing this. You're gonna have to go one more season. You're gonna have to keep going after this day in and day out. And no, Paul, it's not going to be easy, but my grace is sufficient for you. What is God's grace in this context, in this moment of scripture, in Paul's life, in Darby's life, in our life, where we face this gap, God's grace is God's provision for every need we have in that moment. 
I'll read it again. God's grace is God's provision for our every need when we need it. See, God's grace is that he's gonna give you the ability, no matter what you're facing, no matter how bad the situation is, that you can put one foot in front of the other and face it one more day because God has his grace to give you. Because in our weakness, when we are at the weakest moments in our life where there's nowhere else to turn, nowhere else to go, God is going to give his power to you and say, I love you, son, I love you, daughter. It's gonna be okay, I'm with you. That's God's grace. That's what Darby is walking through right now. That's what Paul had to go through. And I believe that God's promise to Paul in this moment is a promise that's still good for you and I today. God will give you his strength in your weakness to get through the gap, to move forward another day. He will. And despite God telling Paul no, look at what he says. Look at, look, look at Paul's response in verses nine through 10. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly. Are you kidding me? About my weaknesses. So that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul grew gratitude and contentment in the gap that he faced. He understood that God's grace was sufficient enough. You see, the grace of God is the difference between drowning in discontentment and swimming in gratitude. It's all about God's grace. So what do we actually do with this teaching here today? What are we supposed to do with this? How, how do we walk away? What can we do to begin to trend and grow gratitude in our lives in the most difficult seasons and circumstances? I believe through Paul's experience, there were three things that he did despite the gap, that he grew gratitude through grace. They're in your notes. I'll say them all right now, then we'll walk through each one individually. We need to uh, grow gratitude through grace by taking time to be available for God, be humble before God, and remember, God is good. So here's the first, be available for God. When God says no, it doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. You have to hear that. He loves you. He is with you. He rejoices with you. He mourns with you through every single situation and circumstance you're going through in life. When God says no, it doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. But in Paul's circumstance, God says no because when Paul wanted God to change the circumstances around him, God wanted to grow something within him. He wanted to keep him humble, to push him through it. And it wasn't God, Paul's ability that allowed him to grow in gratitude. It was his availability to God. Are you being available for God to allow him to grow this grace in your life? The second is to be humble before God. Be humble before God. You can't be grateful for something you don't believe you need. Some of us, we, we don't even go before God because we don't think we need him. It, it, there are gonna be circumstances and seasons in your life where it is so bad and so hard and so difficult to get through on your own. And hopefully you're gonna have community around you that loves you and this church can be that. But there is no one that can substitute for God in these seasons of life. You need his grace but you have to be humble enough to cry out to him. And for some of us here today, it's been a long time since we cried out for help from God in humility, trusting whatever he was doing. 
Third thing, remember, God is good. God is good. Can I read? Let me just read Romans 8, 28 for us and remind us. And, when, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Sometimes we just need to be reminded when we face this gap in life that God is good. That even though the circumstances are difficult that I'm walking through, God is still good no matter what. Can I, I want to read as we close a quote from pastor and theologian Charles Spurgeon. God has been good to us. His goodness is long-lasting. His goodness is far-reaching. It extends to the embarrassment of failure and the pride of success. His goodness is good. Because he is God, he is good. There is nothing bad that soils the character of our Savior. The salvation we have in our Jesus is good. The comfort we have in Christ is good. The wisdom we gain by applying God's word is good. His answers to prayer are good. His forgiveness is good. His grace is good. Heaven is good. God is so good to us. We say thanks to the Lord because his grace and goodness compels us because he is so good. That is the God that we serve. Church, God is good. No matter the circumstance we're facing or the gap in between what we want and what he's decided. And what's gonna get us through that gap? God's goodness allows us to trust in who he is while we don't fully understand what he's doing. That is the truth. Where do we need to build gratitude and contentment towards God in our lives? Where do you need to take time to be available for God, to be humble before God, and to just remember God is good. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, for you. And so as we turn the service over to the campus pastors, we wanna take a moment to pray over you, to pray for God's grace through you in the most difficult seasons and circumstances in your life.